Welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast, where we share stories of life change and inspire you to take a next step in your own faith journey, to discover your purpose, and honor God with your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Radford, and I am joined today by Ben Lee and Philip Lee. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Sam. Hey, Ben. Hey, I've gotten on a kick um, talking about the gentleman, and I think that we're qualified now. Pastor Philip has joined us. Yeah, we at least have one. <laughs> if you yeah. listen to the Grace and the Gray podcast, you'll you'll get my reference. So if you're you... saying I'm taking it up a notch? Yes. Okay. Thank you I'm for with being you. here. I'm with you. My pleasure. <laughs> so recently, in one of Pastor Rick's messages, he mentioned uh, the song "Mary, Did You Know." And he made a joke saying that, of course, Mary knew. Mary was visited by an angel, and she knew exactly what was coming or who was coming. So that made me think, what other areas of controversy are there around Christmas and the church? So I've compiled a list of questions that I'd <laughs> like to ask you. So my first one, after Mary Did You Know, um, why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Oh, great question. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, most of the time I hear it talked about, it's always brought up along with the fact that we think it's, we scholars think it's much more likely that it was sometime in the summer, June, July. I can't remember. Yeah, I think spring. Sometimes they talk about it being during lambing season or that uh, it couldn't have been in December because shepherds don't keep their flocks out in the field. They're usually corralled mm -hmm. in the wintertime. Um, have read some things in the past about, uh, of course, first of all, you need to realize that the birth of Jesus wasn't really celebrated by the early church. You don't see anything in the book of Acts or the writings of Paul's letters to churches about that. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus command or encourage us to celebrate his birth. What he does do is make it clear that we are to remember mm -hmm. His death and His resurrection, He established the Lord's Supper communion for that. And so uh, celebrating His birth is certainly kind of an add-in type of thing. Now, I'm not Scrooge. I'm not saying no more Christmas, you know, for nobody. But I think recognizing that we don't really know, there's no record of exactly when Jesus was born. And even time of year is somewhat speculation. It's pretty much about 300 years uh, after Jesus, that the church begins making some sort of formal celebration. There is some understanding that there were some uh, Roman or pagan celebrations in the latter part of December, uh, celebrating the sun. Uh, interestingly, celebrating the um, conquering sun at the darkest part of the year uh, with the winter solstice, which comes in the third week of December. Mm -hmm. So there's some tie into that. I like the fact that we celebrate uh, light coming into the world, the light of God coming into the world right at the darkest time, the longest days of darkness. So I like the symbolism mm -hmm. in that, but there's no historical accuracy to December 25th. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, I guess the concise way to say that would be that it's all extra biblical stuff. Sure. Yeah, it is yeah. Is definitely extra biblical. We guess... There's like some confusion around the the dating, even in terms of the year for the birth of Christ, because there's mention in Luke of Quirinius calling the census, and what we know is that it's not the 
the big kind of famous census that's also mentioned in Acts by yeah. Luke. Yeah. So it's some other census, which is really confusing because it's also listed as uh, we know the birth of Jesus took place uh, during King Herod's reign. Right. But Quirinius wasn't governor until after uh, Herod had already died in about 4 BC. He yeah. was governor, I think, 6 to 7 AD, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So it gets kind of confusing. And there's been a couple of things put forward as to explanations for why that would be the case. Um, some people say it's a translation issue where there's a Greek word, protos, and the argument is that it means before he was governor um, as opposed to first. Yeah. Uh, but there's, it's, you kind of have to do some interpretive backflips uh, to try to figure yeah, gotta, out what exactly is going on there. Kind of kind of stretch there to make it fit uh, yeah. already determined bias. And, you know, thinking about, you know, as I said Sunday, uh, other than maybe 18, 20 people who were there in and around Bethlehem that first Christmas, nobody else, the rest of the people, no idea it was some big deal. And, of course, the BCAD, that was kind of back date, looking mm-hmm. back, so nobody really knew the exact date or time. And so, you know, maybe Jesus was born in 3 AD because mm-hmm. it was backdated. The calendar was backdated like, oh, this is a big change, mm-hmm. right? Uh, BC and AD, so yeah, that wouldn't come yeah. around until the Gregorian calendar that we yeah mostly yeah. Use so now. that's that's kind of way back. So Amen. yeah, it's it's not really one of those things that I don't think it's wrong. Obviously, for us to celebrate Jesus' birth, and I think think the fact what's clear in the Gospels and clear uh, in the New Testament as well as the prophecies in the Old Testament is the fact that he was born of a virgin. That's the big deal. That's the thing to remember. Not an ordinary child, right? Okay. Just not just another prophet, not just you know another holy man or good teacher, but this is God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if somebody was twisting your arm, you could probably say with reasonable confidence, late six, early five BC. Yeah, we'll go but with that. We we have no idea <laughs> yeah. what what time of year. Yeah, uh, it would all be guesswork, and yeah. it, it may be fun guesswork, but if. It was if it was a relevant part of the narrative, the gospel writers would have put it in there very right. clearly, very mm-hmm. clearly. So, Ben, you mentioned extra biblical earlier, mm-hmm. and then Pastor Philip, you said that nobody really knew about Jesus's birth. Mm-hmm. But in the narrative that we are all familiar with, three supposedly three people knew, and so in Matthew's gospel, it talks about the visit of the wise men. And so I'm reading from Matthew 2, 1, ESV. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So what what are magi? It refers to him as wise men, as kings. Do we know? So it depends on... That's actually a really interesting question because it depends on which magi you're referring to or mm. to which you're referring. It's um, a broad term. Yeah, well, there's there's magi mentioned in like the book of Daniel, for example, because Nebuchadnezzar goes to them for wisdom, um, and they're they're kind of mystical spiritual advisors in that context. But by the first century, that term had been broadened to kind of refer to a larger group of people that were experts in anything from ancient texts to astrology. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a and we definitely have astrology in there. Right. But they also, it's interesting when 
Herod brings them before him and starts asking them questions about what's going on. Uh, they mention Bethlehem, and that's how Herod knows where to look. Um, and the reason they know that is because they're already aware of a passage from of an Old Testament prophecy from Micah 5.2 um, that references the birth of the Savior in Bethlehem. So they clearly study some ancient texts as well. But it's yeah. it's kind of a broad range. Uh, magicians, literal magicians, yeah. would also be right. considered magi. Yeah. Um, Which you think about in the ancient world, you would be like a magician. Yeah, mm-hmm. you knew things that people didn't know. You you understood things that people right. didn't understand. Yeah, I've always thought you know we three kings of Orion are mm-hmm. yeah like a bunch of lies in that one. We don't know, they're not three. We don't know. How many there are? The the text doesn't specifically. We, we guess three because, because three of the gifts, gifts yeah. right? Yeah, but a couple could have brought gold. A couple could have brought mm-hmm. frankincense. A couple could have brought myrrh. We don't know. They're not from the Orient. They're from the East, um, and they don't show up. You know, that's the big deal. We've got them in our manger scenes, right? When do they come? Yeah, actually, yeah, and you can you know because based on what Herod does after they come. He does some research to just go, all right, when did you see this star? How long ago was that? He does the math, and when he commits the infanticide in Bethlehem— He says two years or younger. Two years or younger. So you're talking somewhere around 18 months, 24 months after the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think Matthew uses the phrase house, Mm -hmm. although it could have been technically the same place, um, but it's— he uses the word child, not baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely later. We joked about here uh, with the manger scene at our Banksville campus, we probably should put the wise men in like New Ellington. <laughs> That's be about how far they would be. So, yeah. <laughs> when he was actually born. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but that's, uh, sorry, just going yeah. back because I know there's. Often there's controversy that's raised around the idea of the nativity in general because. There's some inaccuracies that are probably in it, um, like whether or not the shepherds would have been there at the same time as the wise men at all, or whether or not the wise men should be there while Jesus is still clearly depicted as a baby. But it's, I think we get kind of wrapped up in it and don't recognize that there are some shortcomings in the medium of the nativity and that it's telling a story with stationary figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you do the best you can with the tools that you use. And yes, there are some shortcomings, but it's still a great way to look at just kind of that picture and remind ourselves what, of what happened. Of all the pieces. Yeah, it'd yeah. be like doing your Christmas pageant at church. So you have the manger. At some point, you have the shepherds come in and say, hey, if you guys could come back in a couple of years, the wise men will be here. Yeah. <laughs> like You can't really do it that way. But I think with those shortcomings, obviously you would be ill-advised to try to learn the story of Jesus' birth by looking at the nativity. That's a poor yeah. way to do it. It's yeah. a representation. Yeah. Um, but as long as you treat it appropriately and recognize that it's just a picture of a story that you right. hopefully already know. And if you don't, the bl- best place to look is God's Word. Right, yeah. Get into the Gospels, read it there, yeah. and just let the nativity scene remind you. It's just a, a reminder of all those pieces and the whole story, mm-hmm. right? So another um, another point around the nativity scene is we often see it depicted like a stable or a barn. So is is that do we think that's historically accurate or is there a chance that they were actually in someone's home or in an inn or a hotel? Uh, it's unclear. Um, again, this is another example of if it was significant enough to the narrative that Matthew or Luke put forward, 
they probably would have specified. But what we do know about it is that it's a place that's meant to embody the humility of Christ's birth. Um, yeah. The traditional site, uh, I think, was recognized as like a cave or a grotto. Um, other people have said it's the it's the bottom of a floor of a house where they kept the animals. Um, there's a lot of kind of guesswork you can do uh, around what we knew about uh, first century structures, but we don't know for sure. And I think if we get so caught up in trying to figure out exactly what was the structure, we miss the point that the gospel writers are making very clear it was a humble mm-hmm. birth, mm-hmm. like the most humble. And that, honestly, that's kind of the story of like a lot of these uh, myths or arguments over some of the more specific details of Christmas is that, or the birth narrative rather, it, it's so easy for us to get so caught up in some of these finer details that just aren't mentioned that we miss exactly what's being said. Yeah, we miss the the big idea. And I don't why why do you think what either of you why do you think we get so fascinated with trying to uncover like even the minutest details around the birth narrative because we have what do we have Matthew and Luke are the only ones that yeah. make specific reference and we get like maybe a chapter and a half by chapter yeah, 3 half. we're yeah. we're done with yeah. the birth narrative. We've already moved on to John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> Probably uh, my tribe, pastors. Mm-hmm. So Christmas rolls around every year. We usually uh, have to do multiple messages based on very small amount of actual really solid text yeah. that you can exegete and teach on. And so, you know, then what we're trying to do is well, how do we stretch this out and, you yeah, know. Or breathe new life into breathe, it to try to make it interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of but uh, the other thing I think, too, is our fascination maybe sometimes. We we want to feel like we were there. Mm-hmm. We want to understand everything about it. And so we need these pieces. We think we need these pieces to understand the details. And I like what you said because I think it does cause us not to go, yeah, Whatever it was, and whenever it came, and whenever it happened, it's the God of the universe, mm-hmm. born in a manger yeah. to a virgin. Mm-hmm. That's the big story. That's what the celebration is. And so, I think probably our a combination of pastors trying to stretch it out, uh, churches starting to reenact pageantry, things of that nature. Yeah. It's probably been around much longer than the modern church, but. Yeah, you got to put on a good show, and you you, you did that last year. You got to add something. Yeah, right? it's, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that's probably a little bit of it. But we are yeah, fascinated. Well, and it's it's not exclusive to pastors because I see it a lot of, among uh, just church members or people who are spiritually interested, like all kinds of people that are. Yeah. And I, you almost adopt, or I see a lot of people adopt kind of this attitude of like gotcha, or I have some secret, yeah. like that kind of. Yeah, it's almost sure. a superiority thing, which makes me sad because. Yeah. The story's just there, and the story's great, and the story has a focus, and the focus is not first or second floor of somebody's house yeah. or a cave or a. Which I have it on good authority. It was a verbo. <laughs> it was a verbo. Sure. Airbnb. They had, come they on. They had now. booked it, but they got scammed. And when they got to Bethlehem, there was no address. It was there. double booked. Oh, there yeah. was no address. There was no address. It was a verbo scam. Oh no. Yeah. So, and it's interesting, this little side note, uh, and I think we were going to talk a little bit about the innkeeper. Yeah. Which, that 
the word that's used there. Uh, the only other place Luke uses that idea of an inn mm-hmm. is in Luke 22 with the borrowed upper room mm-hmm. when Jesus sends his disciples to ask this guy, where is the space, the location, the specific – I can't say that specific. word. The specific place that is set aside for us to celebrate the Passover mm-hmm. together. So that's kind of – it's just a space. Uh, got translated, I guess, KJV translated it in, mm-hmm. which technically it could be, but not necessarily. Yeah. So I'm going with Verbo. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to offer another perspective about the fascination with all the tiny little details mm-hmm. in the nativity scene. So completely opposite of a, of a pastor's point of view or tribe, like you said, Pastor Philip, <laughs> for someone who hasn't studied the Bible in its entirety yet. You, you're Are you putting yourself familiar. in that category? Yes, I don't yes. really read the Bible. I don't study it. <laughs> no, I'm, I am. I am. I do. I, I try to read it every day, but it's I'm not there yet. So it's the story that we're most familiar with, especially if huh. you grew up coming to church at Christmas and Easter. Right. You see the nativity scene, and then yeah. it's it's interesting. You want to learn more about it, and it's fairly easy to understand compared to, I say that, easy to understand. Yeah. Well, and the hard part is culture has kind of run away with Christmas. So it's even, and I don't mean to say they're taking Christmas away from us because that's a conversation for another time and, <laughs> and just take a breath is what I would say to anybody. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but culturally, even outside the church, Christmas seems to have become a much bigger deal than Easter, comparatively speaking. Absolutely. But again, yeah. that's not the way these narratives are structured. Right. They're not structured to give as much and especially not more focused to the birth narrative compared to the ministry, life, and most especially the death of Christ yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and his resurrection. So what you're saying is we can't complain that the pagans are taking their holiday back. Yeah, sure, <laughs> why was, not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they come for Easter, maybe I'll feel differently. Yeah, but yeah. honestly, yeah. Uh, the the celebration, the, the festival, so to speak, yeah. around celebrating the birth of mm. Christ is... We're never instructed to do it, so right. how can we really get mad that it's yes. not being done correctly? Yeah. We were given no instruction. Yeah, how do we know what correctly is other than yeah. just recognizing it's part of the bigger story and it is God in the flesh, mm-hmm. the virgin birth, those pieces that are clear. You don't, you know, there's, they're not up for biblical debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one more. Um, since you mentioned Christmas being taken over or not the pagan holiday being taken over. <laughs> They're taking over. it back. It was their holiday <laughs> right. to begin with. Mm. So is it an attack on Christmas or Christianity when people shorten the word Christmas to Xmas? Ooh, Xmas. <laughs> yeah. Are they crossing out Christ? I would say probably happening? half the people at Cedar Creek would leave if they knew, like, in my sermon notes, <gasps> you put I put Xmas. No. Well, I got a limited amount of space. If I'm... If I'm disrespectful or not caring about Christmas, and that's the only thing I'm doing, I've missed the bigger point, right? The bigger disrespect of Christmas is going through the whole thing and not really remembering and celebrating what this really is. Mm -hmm. That's a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's based on a fundamental misunderstanding of the etymology of like Xmas as an abbreviation, because most people... I think maybe they saw it after it had been in popular use and then saw X and imagined X meant none or no more or Mm -hmm. get rid of, which is most of the time how it's talked about, but that's not the case. The 
the Greek word for Messiah is Christos, Christ, and it starts with the Greek letter chi, which is an X. Huh. See? I was keeping so, Christ in Christmas yes, in my notes. More just, so. You're just making it a little shorter. More so. That, I, that feels more spiritual than writing right. out the word Christ because I'm putting a Greek letter in there. I'm using the Greek. Yes, thanks, Ben. <laughs> sure. <why not? laughs> you have you have stopped the revolt. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> With knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> so as we look forward to um, the remainder of the Christmas season at Cedar Creek Church. I know this coming Sunday we're talking about the wise men, yeah. which we've kind of debunked on this podcast. So, Yeah, I have to change to it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we're talking about how they respond, right? Yes, so yes. that's something to look forward yeah. to mm-hmm. um, in a Sunday message. And then we're at Christmas Eve. Wow. Yeah, it's so. here before we know it. Yes. Yeah. So on cool. Christmas Eve, we're going to have services at 9 and 11 a.m., Mm-hmm. And we're challenging everyone to invite, yes. invite the friend, the neighbor. But we're praying about it. Yes. So our eyes. Somebody was paying attention Sunday. <laughs> Yay! We're praying to. Ben see. has no idea what you're talking about because he just stays in the green room. What happened? <laughs> you lost me. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are praying so that God will open your eyes to who you need to invite. <laughs> Sam, I really do know. No <laughs> second service. Yeah. I'm not a heathen. It was a safe assumption. <laughs> Not a heathen, but potentially a pagan. We Maybe don't... headed that way. Yes, leaning we'll towards. Leaning towards pagan. Only time will tell. <laughs> All right, so the countdown to Christmas is on, and we hope to see you on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. for a message on the wise men, and then, of course, on Christmas Eve. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.